Hello, welcome to another episode of the Churchology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holmes, and today on the show, we are talking to two authors. Can you handle it? Man, it's an awesome interview. We get to talk to Jay Moon and Bud Simon about their great book, Effective Intercultural Evangelism. Jay Moon is the professor of church planning and evangelism and the director of the Office of Faith, Work, and Economics. Asbury Theological Seminary. But Simon is a mission consultant who was a church planning missionary in Brazil for 20 years. His doctoral research at Asbury Theological Seminary explores the effects of shame, honor, worldview for evangelism in Brazil. This was just a fascinating conversation with uh, with J. Moon, Bud Simon, about their book. We, we live in a continuously changing world diverse world and not just a diverse world but diverse church in the local church context no matter if you're rural urban wherever you are uh, there is a diverse set of worldviews within the church that you are a part of doesn't matter how big it is it doesn't matter how small it is it it, it does not matter there is a diverse set of worldviews in the church that you're a part of that you serve and so the work that J. Moon, Bud Simon have done in this book is just super helpful, super helpful conversation, clarifying on so many issues. I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's jump right into today's conversation on the Churchology Podcast. All right. Well, today on the show, we are so excited to talk to Bud Simon and J. Moon. Uh, they've just released a brand new book called Effective Intercultural Evangelism. And so we're going to dive into that today. But before we dive in, um, I'd love for you all, you guys to introduce yourself for our audience and give us a little bit of, a, of your story. Bud, would you, would you just start us off here, Bud? Introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. sure. I'm, I'm Bud Simon and um, Currently, I'm just working on my dissertation at Asbury Seminary. Uh, my wife and I, we spent 20 years in Brazil doing church planting and uh, in the Amazon jungle. So Lord bless that quite a bit. Um, us and the people we worked with uh, planted quite a few churches there over the years. So That's awesome. Yeah. That's that's, that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jay, tell us, uh, tell us about yourself. Yeah, you bet. Great to be with you here, Mark. Uh, thanks for inviting us. My name's Dr. Jay Moon. I'm a professor of evangelism and church planting at Asbury Theological Seminary, as well as the director of the Office of Faith, Work, Economics. We were missionaries for 13 years, largely in Ghana, West Africa, among a least reached people group, learning about intercultural evangelism and intercultural mm -hmm. discipleship, uh, actually being kind of like hit in the face with it, and this book then comes out of both Bud and my experience of over 35 years of dealing with people of different cultures and how to engage them effectively with the good news. Yeah. And so, you know, so many books talk about uh, effective evangelism, uh, but your book is Effective Intercultural Evangelism. And so could you, uh, Jay, if you could unpack for us what, what might be the difference between effective intercultural evangelism and just the way that somebody normally would think about evangelism. Yeah, very good. So what we're realizing is that the approaches that were formed for evangelism in the 20th century were geared for a particular audience that had a certain worldview. And now in the 21st century, we live in a much more diverse and pluralistic society. So it's more likely you'll engage people who are 
not from, say, a Christian background or Judeo-Christian heritage, but perhaps they have um, maybe some background in Islam or they're Buddhist or even maybe like indifferent or agnostic, etc. So the, the formulas that were used, like the four spiritual laws and the Roman road, et cetera, they weren't bad. It's just that they were tailored for a specific audience. And now in the, in the 21st century, people are using those approaches and realizing that they're not really working. So therefore, we're defining um, intercultural evangelism as the process of putting Christ at the center of someone's worldview in order to initiate them into Christian discipleship through culturally relevant starting points. And we define, you know, four discernible starting points to help people engage those around them, whether at work or in their neighborhood or, or wherever, um, that are relevant and can actually help convey good news instead of something bad or old. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, but is, it, so thinking of evangelism that way, is, is, is that something that, followers of Jesus, no matter where they are in their context, you know, we were talking before we hit record, you guys are about two hours from where I am. So I'm in Hazard, Kentucky, uh, rural area, and you guys are near Lexington City and, and that sort of thing. But no matter where people are, is this the way that, that you think that followers of Jesus should think about evangelism, no matter what our setting is or context, this intercultural engaging different worldviews? Right. So that's a great question. And, um, you know, the subtitle is talking uh, about good news for uh, diverse culture, you know. And so one of the things is that is that um, Christ, when he came, he was talking to people um, where they were. He was mm -hmm. trying to meet them where they were. And so he never presented the gospel in the same way twice. And um, and so he was directing his message. He was orienting his message around the audience to draw them to, to, to himself and point them towards God. And so really, um, in the book, we talk about uh, God's at work in everyone's life to try and draw them to himself. And so we see evangelism as how do we join what God is doing in that person's life? How God is at work in that person's life? Um, a lot of times uh, we've seen uh, evangelism as kind of oppositional or adversarial. And uh, this really moves away from that to think, to really consider, hey, we are, we're really looking and trying to find out how God's at work, what he's doing, and then um, how we can just join in in that. And that's really what worldview is about. We're not, we're not trying to challenge like, oh, Christianity is better than Islam. Christianity is better than Judaism. But what are those underlying values that people have and how does Christianity address those worldview values? That's what that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And you've uh, you've already mentioned uh, two of them that are in the book. Jay, you, you spoke about um, guilt a moment ago. You mentioned that and indifference. Can, can you just uh, walk us through maybe uh, as, as any way you want to? What are the worldviews that you specifically talk about in the book? Yes, very good. So as Bud mentioned that we're trying to catch up on that conversation that God is already having with people, even people that may not think that God is conversing with them, and then continue that conversation towards Jesus. So um, as you said, the, the first one, which is like classic, is that the response of sin is that people have internal guilt. And therefore, what Jesus offers is justice. In other words, 
Jesus becomes that substitute to remove our guilt and have us just standing before God. So that's called a uh, like a guilt slash justice worldview. There's also what's called an, an on the rise. Instead of people feeling guilt for their sin, they actually feel uh, shame. And as a result of that, what the gospel offers is not just just standing or justice, but really offers honor. In other words, they have honor restored as a child of the king, like the prodigal son experienced. And then the third one is where people don't feel, say, guilt or shame for their sin or wrongdoing, but rather they have fear. And this is what I encountered in West Africa. When the gospel is explained using this type of, of terminology, that um, a curse has been upon, uh, upon humanity, and therefore they have fear of the spirit world, of witchcraft, etc. And therefore Jesus is the power of God for salvation. So that Jesus just doesn't give you justice or honor, but he provides power. You know, mm -hmm. So the power of God for salvation. The fourth one that we have been researching and is rather recent um, is what we're calling indifference. That's where people don't feel per, per se like guilt, shame, or fear. Rather, they're just indifferent to the gospel. And this often happens like through this process of secularization. And how Jesus responds to that is similar to how he responded to Zacchaeus, where Jesus offers belonging in the community of God with purpose. So there's purpose to their life. So those are the four paradigms of uh, worldviews that we describe in the book and then give practical steps to how to identify those and to work with people that are inside of those worldviews as their starting point. Yeah. So, so, you know, you talk about how Jesus would meet people right where they are. This, you know, is another example would, would say Paul, you know, he goes into Athens and, and right. just, you know, the way that he's speaking to them, you know, sees all of the, you know, statues and idols to all these unknown gods and that sort of thing. Right. What happens when we try to do evangelism, um, but we, but we don't bring someone's worldview into mind. Uh, Bud, can you, can you speak to that? What, what, what might happen? Yeah, I, there's a real disconnect and the good news uh, is not good news. <laughs> mm. So I experienced this, I experienced this in Brazil. Uh, and what would happen is I would just kind of, I was well-trained. I knew like the four spiritual laws and um, just the kind of a lot of the classic approaches um, that were very relevant uh, and made sense here uh, in the United States, you know, evangelism explosion, some of these different methods and uh, so when I'd share that or share like those types of, of sermon illustrations and things, people were very polite um, and they were like, um, they were like, oh, this is okay news. Uh, it's not good news. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were very polite and no one was like, uh, no one was like, you know, uh, telling me that was really bad or anything. Hmm. But one day what happened was, um, I had a little incident, and this is very typical uh, in, a, in American culture, where you go down, you know, you go to a store, and they promise a certain service, and then you turn the next day, and they have not fulfilled that service like they promised. Um, but in a lot of other cultures, and especially in an honor-shame culture, they'll just say that so that no one gets embarrassed. They'll say something, and, um, and I, but I went in there, and I acted in a way that really brought shame on that store owner. And I embarrassed him in front of his employees and some of the other customers and, and that. Well, I had left there, you know, the Holy Spirit really convicted me. I didn't, at the time, 
I did not have a framework for worldviews, but the Holy Spirit uh, was kind of helping me intuit this. And uh, the Holy Spirit said, you, you need to go back there and apologize to that guy um, and just go right in the middle of the day, same time of day, and, and, and apologize in front of his employees and his customers, just like you embarrassed him in front of them. So I went and did that. And, and, and uh, the result was, he, he says, oh, it's no big deal. Um, he, he went out of his way to serve me. But here was the thing, is when I shared that uh, story as a sermon illustration, this honor-shame story in a, as a sermon illustration, everyone at church got up and applauded. So here was a story that struck at the core of their worldview. Hey, this is good news. Someone has come to take away our shame and take it on themselves. So I took that shame, you know, really literally from the store owner. And I said, no, it's all my fault. I'm the one that should be embarrassed here. And uh, they, they go, wow, that is good news because it, it really spoke into their worldview. Yeah. You know, as I listen to you guys, and, and I thought of this too as I was reading as I was reading the book. Jay, tell me if tell me if I'm totally wrong here. Just, <laughs> Mark, you you missed the point. Uh, but when I hear you when I hear you two talk about and and like I said, this came across to me in the book. When I hear you talk about worldview, um, it it sounds like uh, you put someone's worldview as part of the underlying conversation that God is already trying to have with that person. You yes. know, so many times, the, the classically, the way that I, I guess you could say I've been trained to think about worldview is just just simply a series of beliefs that people have about the way they see the world. And and I, for me, that was just a new idea um, that that you that you're saying that this is a part of the way that God is trying to communicate with people. Yeah, you're, is that, you're right, is that right, Jay. Can you yeah, you're right on target, Mark, because this worldview are these culturally structured assumptions upon which people not just uh, form their ideology, but it's also how they uh, form their affections, how they mm -hmm. reason through things, how they decide what is good or not. So, uh, you know, it, it's been said that people often do what they love and not just what they think, right? Mm -hmm. So the worldview affects your, your emotions, like why you make certain decisions, like why you think that that person is beautiful or is good or not. And why the gospel will be good news is affected by your worldview. So it's not simply just the, the cognitive ideology going through their head, but it's also these assumptions that they make about everything, basically. It's kind of like wearing sunglasses with a different tint. And different cultures may have like a pink tint or a red tint, but everything they see through it is tinted by that worldview, whether it's a guilt justice or an honor shame or a fear power or uh, indifference belonging with purpose. So therefore, having this understanding of where people are in their worldview gives us a great help forward in knowing where to start the gospel conversation. And as Bud said, our role is we do not have to destroy their faith system of Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or uh, atheism, etc. What we do is we start at the worldview level and engage at the worldview level. And if we do, it's kind of like termites eating the, the tree roots. And that system of faith will fall over because the, the gospel will change those worldview roots of that tree in order to move them towards Jesus. Yeah. You know, so many times when, um, you know, as a church leader, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have experienced this, you talk about evangelism in the church and a lot of people in church just cringe or, you know, 
we're going to do evangelism tonight and, 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 and the pastor's the only one who shows up or something like that. And, um, but a lot of times we just consider evangelism. I've got my sales pitch. Here's, here's the points that I've got to make. Uh, one of the things that people have said to me is evangelism feels weird because I'm forcing people to talk about or think about things that they're not thinking about. Mm. And you are saying the exact opposite, right? You're, so, bud, you're saying that people, maybe they've never put spiritual language on it, but people are already thinking this way and thinking through these kinds of issues, these, these questions, this worldview way. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Right. And, um, and a lot of times, you know, one of the, one of the things that we kind of have the salesman approach is we think we have to close the sale to be successful. Oh yeah. And the book speaks about that too. It says really, have we helped this person move towards Christ? Mm -hmm. Have we helped them move towards Christ? Now that may just mean, maybe they've only moved an inch or two. Maybe we've taken that, taken that last step with them where they actually pray the prayer and accept Christ. But are we helping them point in the right direction? Uh, George Hunter, who's written and done a lot of research and written a number of books on the topic, he says sometimes it takes up to 30 contacts with Christians, uh, 30 conversations before people really become Christians. Um, and so, again, this comes back to an era uh, in, the, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s where the thought was, hey, we're going to preach the message, we're going to make an invitation, and we're going to say something, you know, this is the day of salvation, you need to make your choice today, you know, and really kind of like try and close the sale. Um, you know, the 21st century is a, it's a different culture, it's a different context. And we have, to, we have to be aware of that if we want to reach people. If we're trying to use methods from the 50s and 60s, um, mm. you know, it's, it's ultimately we're going to meet with frustration for ourselves and for these other people too. And so, um, yeah, so that's just really important that we can kind of tune in, that we tune in to what God is doing in people's lives. Uh, so I'll share another story here. Uh, one of the things that's really helpful about the book is it has lots of stories mm -hmm. um, that really help connect the theory with the practice. So the stories are, are really practical. Um, one of the stories, you know, uh, so for example, um, this story is in the book. Uh, there's a, there's a guy, he would, he, his wife badgered him. His wife was a Christian. She badgered him into coming into church. You know, he did not want to come to church. He was a heavy drinker, alcoholic. Um, you know, he'd get his money on Friday. He'd spend it all over the weekend. And he was pretty embarrassed. You know, he knew. Uh, he had Christian friends. They don't like people that are drunk all the time. Uh, he was broke all the time. He's just embarrassed, you know. Um, so he came to church. He's kind of in the back row. And he's already, you know, he's, you know, not tipping over drunk, but he's, he's had a few. He's had a few, you know. Um, just to get him, just to get up the courage to go to church, you know. So they say, uh, you know, in Brazil, you have an expression. They say you need a few to like build up courage, you know. And so he had had a few to build up the courage to go to church. And he's sitting in the back row trying to avoid contact. And, um, but he's embarrassed. He knows, he knows, uh, you know, my family's broke. We're not paying the bills because I'm drinking too much. My wife's mad at me most of the time. My kids are, I'm kind of losing the respect of my kids who were really, uh, teenagers and adults in his family. And so what happened uh, was uh, I, our church 
serves coffee and tea, you know, we kind of have this time of mingling before the service. And he's sitting there, uh, this is a night service. And so he's sitting there in the back row. I went over to him and I put my arm around, across his shoulder, which is a very common thing in Brazil, you know. And I said, hey, I just want to tell you, we're so glad you're here. Um, man, it's just a real honor to have you here with us tonight. And the guy, it just blew the guy's mind. He could mm. not believe that here, the pastor of the church was telling him it was an honor to have him, uh, have him there at church. And so I said, to, and then I said to him, I said, hey, would you like me to bring you a cup of coffee or some tea? And that was just like, that was just like over the top, you know, yeah. it was like, um, just for me to offer to serve him, uh, that just doesn't happen, you know, in that, in that culture. And so it was like, in his, in his humiliation, uh, it was someone was saying, hey, you have worth and you have value. And so literally, now that was one of those things where, yeah, at that night, he actually gave his life to the Lord. He tells the story to till today, you know, that he gave his life. He was so impressed by all that. And the other things um, that were going on already had preceded that, but he gave his life to the Lord and is serving the Lord faithfully, you know, two decades later. So, um, yeah, the Lord really uses that and works within people's worldviews, you know? Yeah. You know, one of the things that stood out to me uh, from the book is, is um, the book focuses on evangelism, but just how important this book is for church leaders, no matter, no matter where they are and what they're doing. Um, because, in the average church, there are going to be represented so many different worldviews. Right. And so how can a pastor or a ministry leader discover the worldviews that people in their church may have? Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. And we talk about double listening. Mm -hmm. This double listening is where you're listening really well to the person in order to identify the discernible patterns about which of the four worldviews they're residing in. And we describe that in the book, what to look for. And then the second listening is listening to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and as the Holy Spirit is, is interpreting with you what uh, that person is saying. Now, what we often say, and as you just described earlier, when you talk about a evangelism training in the church, people don't often have like warm fuzzies jumping up and down for joy, right? So <laughs> yeah. we developed a card game called the face sharing card game that helps people work through these four different worldviews using a storytelling fashion where they're exposed to the four different worldviews in these different narratives that come about. And then they start to gain some competence and some confidence to be able to identify and then address those worldviews with specific uh, biblical approaches. So the card game has been a lot of fun. We've used it with over 500 people. And every time there's a lot of laughter, a lot of joy, I've had lots of folks that, man, this is the most fun evangelism training I've ever had, which I wish I heard that more from more evangelism training. So what I say for pastors is, um, you know, read the book and then take the card game and try that out with like a Sunday school or a small group or a prayer meeting, et cetera. And then once you um, play that, you'll find out this will teach you how to do effective intercultural evangelism. And you can even have fun while doing it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things and you, you, you mentioned this in the book, but one of the you know, for anybody that's watching, listening, 
um, no matter where they are. And maybe they're thinking, well, this sounds like something somebody should hear. I just don't know if, it, if I just don't really, I really don't know if this applies to the people that I serve. Um, in the book, you talk about the impact of globalization and the internet. And uh, this might be something that both of you would want to speak to, but we'll start with you. What is the impact of those two things specifically, globalization and, and the internet? And, you know, we can talk about social media and all of that. What's the impact of those two things um, on, on, say, the, the, you know, no matter where the church finds itself, you know, city setting, rural, small town, no matter what it is? What are the impact of those two things, bud? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think, you know, I'll start with globalization. Um, what's really happened in the last uh, 50 years is that we, the chances of running into someone who is very different from you, mm. very different from you, uh, is, has risen astronomically. And so, uh, so, for example, we'll just start with immigration, for example. Mm. Uh, about one out of every eight people in the United States is an immigrant. And about one out of three has an immigrant in their home. So either one of the wow. kids or parents, uh, someone in that immediate family is an, is an immigrant. They were born in a different country. So if you live in a large city, um, some large cities like Miami, Miami Phoenix, Houston, uh, in the South, they have more than 50% immigrants. Uh, even large cities in the North, uh, like New York and um, Chicago, the, the numbers are over 40%. What's that mean? That means someone has come from a place with a completely different worldview. Um, they value, they have other values. They're, they've been born and raised to think about the world di differently in their home, different values I prioritize. So there's not this hard working, pull up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, um, you know, uh, kind of, uh, Puritan work ethic, you know, if you just, you know, uh, work hard, you can get ahead, that type of thing. Um, and so there's this different, different perspective. And so it's, it's really become important. Uh, globalization has really made uh, encountering people from different worldviews, just something that's really common for, for a lot of people. Um, that just happens. That just happens in the flow of life. Now, you know, if you're in a rural setting, it's going to be a little more difficult, maybe. But even if you go down to your local Walmart, you're going to bump into people and you, uh, that you see from different places. Uh, you know, it's, a lot of these places are, yeah. are meeting places and crossroads where, where people just encounter people, even in smaller cities. Um, yeah. And so uh, I can or maybe, Jay, you want to talk about the Internet a little bit, social media. Yeah, well, what's happening is this book is not just for those people going overseas or those in like exotic ministries among right. immigrants, yeah. etc. What we're finding happening is now due to uh, social media largely, the, the, the young people, particularly say millennials, Gen Z, they're moving towards a shame honor perspective. So instead yeah. of feeling guilty about their, their sin or wrongdoing, they feel shame because shame needs an audience and social media provides a big audience. So therefore, this shame honor perspective is very relevant for uh, folks that are on social media, which is mostly everybody. And then um, <laughs> among the addictive community, those who have various addictions, which there's lots of them out there, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're looking for power to overcome their fear of this addiction that's grabbing them. So this fear power worldview is a great place to start with them. 
Uh, but one other area that the internet has affected people is really our learning preference. We've moved from like a print learning preference to an oral learning preference. So I meet people all the time and here's what they say, Mark. They say, I love to learn. I just don't like to read. Is there any other way that I can get that information? So it may be a podcast like you're doing here, or it may be um, an audio book or something like that. So what's happening is people are shifting away from like a print reading kind of preference and towards this oral preference. And now it's mediated through digital means. So Jonas Sachs developed a term called digit oral. So digital learners, when people receive massive information through digital means, they exhibit the characteristics of oral learners as opposed to print learners. So therefore the tracks and the other written approaches to evangelism don't work well with these digital oral learners. So in the book, we talk about the use of narrative, of imagery, and then we recommend some phone apps that have been developed that use uh, pictures, that also use some video in order to connect with the digital oral learners that are being shaped by the internet. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, um, as, we, as we're talking about globalization and just one of the things that comes to my mind is, um, you know, so many church leaders right now are talking about um, just the division that's made its way into the church, you know, and, and, yeah. and instead of, you know, it just seems like more and more the division and, and we're becoming separated in different tribes and, you know, not even interested in somebody else's worldview. Um, so I guess I have a couple of questions about that. W would you consider that, you know, the, maybe, maybe a, a way to put it would be the grip that say political ideology might have on us. Would you consider that to be a worldview? And, and if so, what, what can church leaders do to even overcome that, that tribalism, that division of, you know, it's, it's just us and, you know, we're going to, anybody that disagrees with us, we don't want anything to do with them. How, what do you, what do you think about that? But, bud, we can start with you. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a high octane question there, Mark, but um, <laughs> we'll just go ahead and jump right in. I would say this, I would still say, Hey, there's a worldview that underlies those, those needs that are being expressed through that, um, that politicizing, you know, and that, and that, tribalization, you know, of we want to isolate from ourselves, from this other group, uh, there's something in them that is looking for that identity. And there's, you know, and you could, you could dig into having to know a little bit more about specifics, but there's a desire for this identity. There's a desire to be valued um, mm -hmm. within a community um, and recognized within that. So there's a few things there that I think that um, when you, when you start addressing those worldview needs, uh, suddenly all that structure that's on top comes tumbling down, or, or at least it gets loosened up, you know, suddenly people are willing to, to give up on that, um, because their, their, their foundations have been, have been addressed, you know, those, and um, we call this, uh, in the book, I think we address this as what people's uh, life life needs are what are those things in their life that need to be really addressed mm. you know um so that may be coming out or may be expressed um they feel powerless and suddenly they're given power through this expression they're given a voice um over the internet when they express some extreme position you know things like this but it's really hard um, because a worldview says this is an underlying motivation um, the outward expression may actually come in different ways. 
And so it takes time and it takes some conversation. Um, you know, there's a story, uh, Jay actually uh, shares that story in the book, but um, there's a person that was practicing Wicca, you know? And so the idea is, hey, they're, they're actually looking for power because Wicca is, you know, wrapped up in a lot of spiritual power and so forth. But the deeper they went in conversation, it came out that what they were really looking for was belonging. They were looking for a place to belong. And how can I fit in somewhere? Where can I belong? And so that power was really secondary to their desire for belonging. So when the conversation started, started to resolve, uh, address the, the desire to belong, um, they just really softened up, you know, and it started to address that, that need in their life. So, yeah, does that make sense? No, that makes total sense. Jay, do you have yeah. anything to add to that? So what, so one is I love, but I love what you were saying in there, just going underneath and, and, and talking about identity and, uh, and, and those sorts of things. Jay, do you have, do you have anything to add? Yeah. To that? I mean, it's a great question because, um, you, by, by all means, like the, the political ideology, um, is an influencer upon the worldview. The danger is when it becomes the dominant influence above their Christian identity. Mm. So like James K. Smith has said, you become what you love. And that helps explain things. Like if a Christian has all the right things in their head about who Jesus is and you know, the vocation and calling, but they still love the world, guess how they're going to act? They're going to act like the world, right? Yeah. So the challenge is if somebody is still consuming lots of, say, political ideology, and that shapes what they love more than their, their identity as a member of the family of God, then that's going to you know, like, like stilt their worldview because it's going to shape their love. They're going to act more, they're going to you know, act more like what they love in this ideology uh, politically than they're going to act in their identity with Christ. So what I would say to that for pastors is to help shape people to love Jesus and to love being a part of the family of God, to get there, get underneath of their worldview questions so that they find that they identify that, that Christ provides either justice for them or power mm -hmm. or honor or belonging with purpose. So that would shape what they love, and that starts to change their worldview to move them to Christ as opposed to being shaped by this political ideology more than their uh, Christian identity. Because you're exactly right, Mark, something as simple as wearing a mask can now all of a sudden bring great divide, whether it's in a classroom or in a church, et cetera. So let's help people shape what they love and getting underneath the worldview will help identify that. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the worldviews you talk about in the book that I just find so challenging is the worldview of indifference. Right. You know, and, and so indifference, they, they just, you know, especially here, you know, I guess you could say the Bible belt, uh, just familiar with the gospel. I've heard that. And maybe I've even done that. And I, you know, I just, I just really don't care, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but the way you said it earlier, I'd love for you to talk about, you talk about, uh, you know, belonging before believing. Uh, can you, uh, can you just flesh that out maybe some more, but what do you, what do you mean by that? What, what might that look like to give, to give somebody that's indifferent a place to belong before they have, before they necessarily believe? Yeah, well, this is really powerful. Um, and, uh, one of the things that's talked about in the book, and this is a, a, an idea that actually comes from Paul Heber, uh, who is a missiologist from the 
started his career in the 80s, uh, 90s, and, and early 2000s. But he really talked about um, bounded sets. And, um, and um, oh, why am I blanking out on it, Jay? Help centered me set. Help me on. Centered, centered set and bounded sets. Thank you. Just like blanked out there. And so really, that's the idea of, of we like to set up these boundaries, okay? Um, and Christianity often will set up these boundaries of, hey, if you're a Christian, you're, you don't smoke, you, you don't drink, um, you don't dance, and you don't chew, you know, you don't, you know, there's a lot of don'ts, and those set up these boundaries. And so people can only belong when they meet these certain criteria. But uh, uh, we realize that none of those criteria are really going to get us into or keep us out of heaven. And so Christ, he, he allowed people to belong before they ever met any of these criteria. So we see him meeting with um, tax collectors, um, prostitutes, you know, these, these uh, people that were really on the outside of society. But his idea was, how can I point these people towards God? They were belonging to his, his set there. And so in the church, what that means is this. If we have a small group or if we have, um, uh, if we have some activity, we want to say, hey, you and your family would be welcome. Uh, and uh, we'd love for you to come. And there's no pressure on that person to make a decision for Christ. We want them to see that, hey, if they can realize and, and see and experience with their own eyes, these people value me for who I am, even though they realize um, I'm going to go home and down a six-pack after this. They know that. I mean, it's no big secret. They realize my wife and I are, are on the ropes, and, and maybe um, we may not even make it through the year, but we're still welcome here. You know, there's more healing in that than trying to say, you need Jesus Christ today. And, you know, you need to get your, your marriage in order that, so that Jesus loves you. You know, that's just pushing them farther, farther down the hole. You know, does that make sense? Oh, a total sense. Yeah. 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 yeah so maybe I'll add a piece in there. Um, what we find is that people value privacy so much that they lose community. It's kind of like a, like a seesaw. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you value one, the other goes down. If you value community, they give up privacy. If you value privacy, you give up community. So what's happening, uh, Leonard Sweet has noted, the paradox among millennials is they value privacy so much that has now driven them to hunger community. So what's happening is the starting point for addressing people with the gospel that are indifferent is starting with community. So Zacchaeus is a good example of that. Here's this chief tax collector who is not in the religious system of his day, and he's not totally like with the Roman world, but greatly distrusted even by both. So he's indifferent. So when Jesus comes to his house with his disciples, he doesn't talk about guilt or shame or fear. What he does is he helps Zacchaeus feel like he belongs with the other disciples. And then He's given new purpose for his life and work where he says, I'll pay back those who have defrauded. And that's when Jesus says salvation's come to this house. So you're exactly right, Mark. We find this among a lot of like students and on university campuses that are really indifferent. But what they're yearning for is community. What they're yearning, yearning for is to have some purpose in their life that outstrips them. Even those 
who we've interviewed that are not a part of the church. One, one guy put it this way. He said, you know, I'm not a part of a church and I don't have any religious faith yet. But if I did, the thing that I would really most value is be part of that community of the church. Mm. So that is a great starting point for sharing what Christ offers people as opposed to starting somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, this, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to interject. Uh, you know, we often uh, saw a lot of growth through our church and our experience in Brazil with exactly this approach. We had small groups and we would just say to people, we'd say, um, yeah, come on to, you know, we're going to have a small group at our house. We're going to, you know, we have some snacks and stuff. And we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about the Bible. Yeah. But we're going to talk about how it helps you have better family life, how it can help you order your finances, how it can help, you know, with some of these life issues that we're, we're trying to address. And uh, when we had things, we would say, you know what, there's no, obligation. you don't have to pray. We're going to pray, but you don't have, you can bow your head or not bow your head, just whatever you're comfortable with. And they, they uh, saw that just coming and being part, uh, they were welcome there. They saw it was a welcoming place for them. They didn't have to act weird. There was nothing required of them that would put them in an awkward situation. They were just um, welcome to partake or not partake in the, in the conversation as they, as they wanted to, we said, you know, and so they could listen and, um, and just try to make it very inviting and appealing. And we saw a lot of people um, come to the Lord through that, through that belonging before believing. Mm, yeah. You know, um, man, I, this has been so good. I want to honor your all's time today. Uh, but I would like to ask you a question. Uh, so if you could uh, pull out a crystal ball uh, and kind of peer into the future, um, are there any worldviews that you see or things kind of bubbling up on the surface that you're kind of, noticing that, hey, churches need to be aware of this. Maybe we haven't been able to address it in the book, but this is, this is already happening. We see this. Is there anything like that that you say, hey, if, if the church is not aware of that particular worldview, we're not going to be able to communicate the gospel effectively to these people? Well, yeah, you're, you're right on track here because we're not saying that these four worldviews are the only ones. Mm. We're saying this is an example of what we are finding most common and we greatly anticipate that as anthropologists and others continue to explore other cultures, they'll find others. So one that has bubbled up to the surface that we did not put into the book, but uh, some have talked about, is the result of sin is pollution or like, like getting dirty. And then what Christ offers is this cleansing. Mm -hmm. So you'll see this often, like say in a Hindu context, where they'll look at sin as being like polluted or being contaminated. And therefore, what Christ can offer them is a cleansing, a cleansing of the soul, etc. Now, uh, Brenda Collagen has a book about images of God, uh, images of salvation in the New Testament, and she describes 12 different images of salvation. And what she says is, there's no one image that is used all the time, but there's 12 of these that reside in the Gospels. So, Hearing that would make us think, Mark, there's likely cultures out there that resonate more towards some of those images than others. And we pulled four out that we think are the most common and the, the one that's emerging, this indifference. But we expect that uh, this isn't the final chapter on this type of thinking, but this is perhaps like leading some new thinking in this area. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think that one of the things that for anybody watching and listening, I know there's ministry leaders, you know, in our audience and uh, just 
this view, this kind of thinking might be, it, is, it was so much of it was new for me and so many, you know, new for all of us. And, and so I, I just, I think this book, you know, when, when I read this book, I was thinking of evangelism and preaching and I was uh, every, everything, you know, it, it just, it just, it just changes the game uh, for the way that we think to engage people with the gospel. And so, um, but Jay, this has been great. How, I would love for people to, uh, to connect with you guys online, find more of your material, but what's the, what's the best way for people to, uh, connect with you if, if, if they'd like to. Wow. You know, I don't really have much of an online presence right now. So we're just, um, we're just, uh, working hard this, this year to finish up my dissertation and get those stuff. That's some of that stuff finished up, but I'll let Jay, Jay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so I'm easy to reach. Uh, w at moons, M O O N S dot com. And we often do presentations. We often help churches uh, learn and apply effective evangelism interculturally. And uh, we often go to places like that and introduce the face sharing card game, which mm. you can get at digitalbiblecollege.com. You can order that card game there that we've developed. And we've also. Um, put on presentations for, for folks that want to learn how to apply this, um, as well as other areas to address evangelization for the 21st century. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll link, I'll link to all that in the show notes, the website you just now mentioned, we'll link to all that. We'll link to where people can get the book. Um, also want to check out the show notes because before recording, uh, Bud shared a way to get the book uh, 30% yeah. off. And so the website to do that, we'll link to all of that in the show notes. And so, Bud, Jay, this has been such an honor. Thank you guys so much for coming on today. Hey, thank, thank you, thank Mark. You. It's been great to be with you. Well, thanks so much for listening to today's show. And as always, you want to check out the show notes. In the show notes, you can find ways to connect with Jay Moon, Bud Simon. You can find ways to get their book. You can uh, find all kinds of links and resources there in the show notes, as well as how to connect with the podcast. And so if you are a regular listener of the podcast, do us a favor and share it wherever you are on social media. You might want to pass this conversation along. Share it. You can even share some of our old episodes and pass those along to people. And we would love to hear what you think about today's interview or just any episode that we've done thus far. Something else you can do if you got a couple of seconds is leave a rating and review. That just helps more people find the podcast and jump into the conversation. New episodes come out every Tuesday of the Churchology Podcast. So thanks so much for listening. we got some great interviews coming up. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode of the Churchology Podcast.